0: Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God.
1: What's up everybody? I'm Gammy and this is Positively Gam. I'm so excited for today's guest because we're talking about the hit television show on stars, P-Valley. I mean, I love that show. Like, it was so innovative. I was like, what is happening? Oh my God. We love that you love it. (laughs) Yeah, the series is an adaptation of Katori Hall's play, Pussy Valley, and follows several people who work at a strip club in the Mississippi Delta. The critically acclaimed and record-breaking series returned for its second season on June the 3rd. So if you haven't already, you gotta get to it. Joining me today is my guest, Katori Hall. She is a Pulitzer Prize, Olivier Award winning and Tony nominated playwright from Memphis, Tennessee. The play that I love so much that you wrote was Mountaintop, which was the fictionalized version of the last night of Martin Luther King's life. I love that play. Thank you. I didn't even know you had seen it. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw it in Baltimore. She is the showrunner and executive producer of the hit stars drama series, P-Valley. So welcome, Katori, to Positively Gam. I'm so happy to be here. Like I said, I'm such
0: a such a fan. Well, we
1: are a fan of yours and definitely a fan of P-Valley. So tell me what made you decide to write a play, number one, about strippers and then to then turn it into a television series? Like what sparked that? Yeah. So,
0: you know, I'm just a home girl from the South and I grew up going to strip clubs. Okay. So I knew that it was this strong, vibrant culture. I think you know, when most people think about a strip club, they think, you know, it's uh, full of sad, struggling women. And mm-hmm. when I would go to strip clubs, I would see athletes. I would see, like, Cirque du Soleil-esque performers whipping around the pole. And so, fast forward, I was living in New York, and I started taking pole dancing classes myself. And Me it was too!
1: Yes. So- <laughs> yeah! <laughs> That's right. That's right. Gab took pole dancing classes. Like, I didn't do it for very long, though. I have to say that I did not keep up with it. I only took it. I only took three classes, but it was very liberating. It really was. Absolutely. And what you said right there, liberating. And when I took
0: those classes, I felt so sexually empowered. I felt limba. You know, I was just like such a beautiful art form. And so I really wanted to delve into the lives of the women who created this art form. And I knew that obviously, you know, it comes out of, you know, the exotic dancing and, and the South. And so I just really wanted to do this fusion of my love for the South, my love for dancing, and my love for just, you know, women who are about their hustle. So I ended up researching it for six years. I visited over 40 clubs, interviewed over 40 dancers. I remember I celebrated my 30th birthday in the locker room of Sin City, <laughs> Uh, in New York City, I was just really in love with the strength of the women and how resilient they were. Even though, as we all know, the choice is hard and can be hard when it comes to deciding to be a part of that life. And so, you know, Pussy Valley just ended up being this excavation of the hardships, the the struggles, but also the dreams. Like these women are dreamers. They're hustlers. And so I was just so grateful that, I was able to research for so long so I can get all these details. And so I ended up doing this play, which ended up being produced at Mixed Blood Theater in Minneapolis in 2015. And when I saw the play, I was like, oh shit, this is the wrong medium. This is supposed to be a TV show.
1: Ah, so you saw that as soon as you saw the play? I saw
0: it as soon as I saw the play. I was like, there's so much going on. And I wanted people to have Uncle Clifford and Mercedes and Miss Mississippi in their living rooms, not just in the theater. I didn't want people to have to travel to a space to be in the same room with them. I wanted to bring those characters inside of people's houses. And so that's why I decided to flip it into a TV show because TV is just such an accessible medium. Yeah. And quite frankly, my favorite medium.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting because I took that class, but I've never been to a strip club. No way. We got to get you to the club. I know. Now I'm feeling like I've done myself an injustice. Like I probably need to actually experience it live and see what it's really like. If I were to do that, Katori, where do you think I should go for that experience? You got to get down to Magic City in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Okay. I
0: was so inspired by that place. We actually have more than a few dancers who are our core dancers who actually worked at Magic City. King of Diamonds down in Miami and in Atlanta. They got an Atlanta spot now, is a really great place to go just because it's a theatrical experience. Yeah, It is, it's spectacle. It's show, you know, there's nudity. Yes. That is kind of the requirement mm-hmm. yes. of being a stripper. Right. But like I said, these women are athletes, what they can do on the pole with their bodies and also together. Like I get blown away when I see two women on the pole together because Mm -hmm. they're literally holding each other up as they're whipping around like the wind. Yeah. So those are the two places that I think, you know, you should go. You got to get down south because club culture is different. Yeah.
1: I actually am trying to plan a trip to Atlanta in October of this year for a different event. So I might have to include a trip to what was the name of it? Magic? Magic City. You got to get Magic, to Magic City. City. Or King of Diamonds. Okay, I might have to do that. So when you were in the room pitching P-Valley to the TV executives, you know, what was their response? They are like, is this woman insane or was it well-received? Did they jump on it right away? There was a lot of clutching of pearls. I remember <laughs> I, I brought this sizzle reel
0: and it had that song ass, 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 ass yeah. as the background. <laughs> and I like cut all these pieces. (laughs) together (laughs) and they were just like whoa this is a lot and you know it's understandable but also frustrating right you know I knew that the strip club culture was something to be celebrated and understood and you know they were just looking at it with you know thumbing their noses being like oh my gosh it could be exploitative it could you know it could it could have easily gone in the complete wrong direction in the wrong hand.
1: I totally get that.
0: Totally got it. There were some places that wouldn't even let me come in and pitch. They were like, no, Mm -hmm. we're not stepping on that cultural landmine. But Stars, I remember it was the last place I pitched. And I remember I was late, you know, the L.A. traffic. And I remember getting in there and I just poured out, you know, the why of why I wanted to uh, do this series and tell this story. And I think at the core of it, you know, this is about celebrating the hard work and Black women and black women who are survivors. Yes, you know, this particular profession is very complicated and not everyone understands it. It's very misunderstood, but they saw past the kind of lasciviousness. I think, you know, some people came to the pitch with in their mind and they really saw
1: the truth of what I was trying to do, which was to humanize this world and these women. And I think the way that you do that, the way that you humanize the the characters is by making them so three-dimensional like we actually get into their lives so that we can relate to them is is that right absolutely absolutely you know that i was so blessed to have been able to sit in not only
0: the locker room with a lot of these women, but also going to their homes, meeting their sons, meeting their husbands, you know, really just integrating myself into their lives like a fly on the wall. And so I really credit that almost journalistic approach when it came to the research in helping me, you know, create this fictionalized world where everyone felt so human. Everyone feels like a sister or a cousin or a mama. Yeah, You know, we know all of these women and all of these men. We've crossed paths with them many times. And I'm just so glad that our audience, not only they see You know, they're family members, but oftentimes they see themselves when they watch
1: P-Valley. Now, I want to talk a bit about the casting, too, because I'm assuming the women that are cast in the series are real strippers. Is that correct or no? No. Then how the hell did you... So how in the hell? Yeah, did they learn to dance? It was a process. Listen, because what I have done is watch a pole dancing Mm -hmm. contest. Mm Mm-hmm on YouTube and you have to be strong and powerful and it's no joke. It was
0: crazy. What's so cool is that we have a very long casting process because for me as a writer, I'm very adamant that the soul matches the soul of the character that I've created. Okay. Quite frankly, the acting and who that person is, what they're going to bring to the role in terms of essence is the most important thing. I left out in that. Let's, talk about brandy evans yeah for example she used to be um, a background dancer she's danced for snoop Dogg. she's danced for katie perry she just she was a dancer she had never you know stripped but you know she right. knows about uh, muscle memory and getting right. routines down and so you know for her in terms of her particular trajectory, we just threw her in <laughs> all dancing classes. She followed dancers, like she studied and learned the art of it, just like she learned the, the art of hip hop dance. Then you had other people like Shannon Thornton,
1: who's never <laughs> been on the pole in her life. Let's step back for a minute because Brandy Evans plays Mercedes. So, she's the main character. So, who is this? So, Shannon Thornton plays Miss Mississippi, right? Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And so,
0: that's her thing. But now, she trained so hard, got so sore, (laughs) you know. We put them, like, in a boot camp. So if they were wherever city that they were living in, once they got cast, we put them on a pole dancing program. And so they learned, you know, from wow. level one all the way, as far as they could go in terms of uh, cultivating their skill set. Yeah. So that when they got to set,
1: got you. they could do something. Got you, got but you. of
0: course, we have these amazing dance doubles who step in and step up and do the way more complicated tricks. But let me tell you something. Our ladies, they sell it. Like you can't you c- cannot think that it's not them up on the pole just because the way that it's edited and and just how hard they work like we can really overlap a lot of their the dancing between them and the doubles when people are watching the show so it's been a hard road but they're hard workers and so in terms of casting you know like I said it's all about are they really good actors mm. Do they feel like the character that comes first and you know the skill set Of pole dancing is something that they've all kind of trained to get. Okay, got you.
1: Now, the first season of the show was entirely directed by... Women. I'm sure that was intentional. And why? It's
0: interesting. I was open.
1: Men directing. I really was. But, you know,
0: I have a very tough interview process. So, I remember... During the interview process, I would be like, So, what's your idea of the female gaze? And what was so interesting was that the male directors that I, you know, asked this question to, they never really had thought about it. They had never really done it in their work. They felt like it was necessary. And for me, the female gaze is about centering the female experience, looking through a woman's eyes. Mm -hmm. And it just so you know, every time a woman director you know stepped up to the plate, they had already been dealing with it within their own work, and they also understood that you know historically women have not been framed so particularly you know, women like strippers or or prostitutes, sex workers. Yes, and so you can very easily just center on the sexiness of a woman right. instead of who a woman is, or who that character is, and so because this show is so much, it's filtered through the female gaze. It's, you know, those women, those female directors, they just answered that question so well that it was just obvious that those were the women who were the right folks for the job.
1: Yeah. And like you said, it is a topic and how it's portrayed, you know, is extremely important because it can go Mm -hmm. left and it can go straight to the sex and the Mm -hmm. lasciviousness that tends to come along when you think about strip clubs. Yeah. For example, I remember asking a guy, if you were, you know,
0: lensing a beautiful dance, what would you focus on? And the guy was like, yeah, we'll travel. The camera will travel down her body and we will see her shape. And then we'll go behind her and just see how plump she is. And it was just like, nah, dog, nah, that, ain't... that ain't what we do. That's not
1: what we need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were the kinds of comments and that you've gotten from fans of the show? Like when you're walking down the street? I don't really be walking down the street too much. Oh, right. <laughs> so I'm like, I be holed up in the house
0: trying to finish these scripts, but... You know, when I have been able to, like, it's, it's usually, like, my, you know, my family, like, at, like, gatherings, you know, unfortunately, yeah, 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 funerals, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever, they just, like, oh, my God, look, her, look, this, you did, that's, like, my life, that's my uncle, that's actually me, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, people feeling reflected, there, you know, sometimes, People are like, okay,
1: episode two, that was too much. (laughs) There's a lot of, ooh, y'all went there. Now, I saw an interview when you said that like Uncle Clifford was based on some members of your family or people that you know. Is that true? Absolutely true. So Uncle Clifford is a fusion of
0: my real Uncle Clifford and my mom and my dad. I wanted this character to feel very feminine and masculine in equal measure. And so I just pulled the best and the worst attributes Mm -hmm. (laughs) from those three people and like, put it in a pot, mix it together, and then out pop the fictional Uncle Clifford. And something that I like to do in my work is I always love to name a really great character after a family member. It's a way to, you know, pay homage to my living ancestors, the people who are with me, who raised me, who, you know, make me write the way <laughs> that I do, which is, you know, steeped in Southerness and just those kind of like quick, witty Um, things that Uncle Clifford says and the rules. So it's the way that people talk in the show is how, I grew up speaking, and the people who, you know, my closest family members, they just really poured that sound into me. And so it comes out of my fingertips every time that I write.
1: Now, for the listeners, in case you don't know, Uncle Clifford runs the pink. Yes. The pink is the club, and Uncle Clifford is the one who runs the club. Are there any other characters that were plucked from your life? I really feel like every single character feels like
0: someone I've known or. There's a sliver of me inside of all of the characters, Mm -hmm. just in terms of their personalities. And I grew up with all sisters. And so the sisterhood that happens in the locker room and on stage and on the main floor is something that I know very well. Having grown up with a lot of women (laughs) and a lot of estrogen in the house, you know, for good or or bad. It's inspired by everything that I've experienced in my life, in addition to all of the research that I've done over the years when it comes to strip club and strippers.
1: Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the relationship between Uncle Clifford and Little Murda. Yes. The rapper on there. I, I was surprised by that. Why were you surprised? It just seemed like a odd hook up to me i just was like he's a rapper like okay so what was that about so
0: that's exactly because i wanted people to be like oh my god what is this they feel like a very odd couple and yet
1: Yeah, and all the undercover, you know. Because that's real. It is real. Some folks out here in these streets, and they're trying
0: to figure out who they are, who they're attracted to. And it it was very surprising, I think, you know, in in that first episode to Uncle Clifford for Homeboy, Little Murda, played by J. Alphonse Nicholson, to be like, you know, all just like lovey-dovey, like just looking Uncle Clifford up and down. And so we really wanted to center a Black queer relationship in the show. But it's still very undercover, right? It's very undercover. Yeah. Uh, particularly in season one. And, you know, Uncle Clifford being much older mm-hmm. than the murder, having gone through uh, a life down South where the homophobia is extremely rampant to the point where, you, you, know, you know, you can get killed for being who you are, still can be killed for being right. who you are, Right. And so really did not want to put their relationship out on front street. And the LaMurda was all trying to, you know, take her out on dates and, and whatnot. And so if anyone has seen, you know, the first season at the end, LaMurda actually shuns her after all that kind of, you know, rolling up on her. And that really is a slap in the face to the character of Uncle Clifford because it's just, oh, my gosh, my... My worst fear of not being recognized and embraced by someone that I could potentially love you know it's traumatizing, yeah, and so we spent the first season really looking into that that down lowness and how it's very hurtful on an emotional level, yeah, um, and we're gonna pull that thread into season two, and I hope people are Good. ready for the roller coaster that we're about to take them on. In regards to those two right there.
1: Yeah, I'm ready. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Mercedes and her mom, because I was (laughs) sick of her. I was sick of her mom at the end of... uh, Look, girl, what? Church lady. (laughs) Yes. Is, poor Mercedes. Is she ever going to be without, I guess you can't really give everything away, but mm-hmm. is she ever going to be able to recoup from that? Because I'm like, that was everything. It was all her money. So for all
0: y'all who don't know, like Mercedes, who was our headliner, our best dancer at the club, you know, she had been trying to retire for years yeah. in order to you know, cultivate a relationship with her daughter and to get this gym for these majorettes. And, you know, she was a coach for a majorette right. team. And so she had to say to all her scrilla, all her money and heart, hypocritical Bible-thumping right. zealot of a mama, Patrice Woodbine, steals all of her money for the dance studio. And so her dream wiped out by her mother is like, Trauma, like, like uh, on on twenty five, like it it just upended everything that everything. she had been working for, and so the audience, which totally made sense, hates Patrice <laughs> Vivian, hates yes, Mercedes, me I, <laughs> you know, and I think it's because you know there, there are a lot of mother daughter relationships that are very traumatic and they're toxic, right? And I think that storyline in particular those two characters
1: really allow us to see our own relationships with our mothers in in them and beyond the relationship with the mother for me what was so off-putting was the hypocritical nature of her of the mother with the church the whole church thing and you know
0: the thing of being down south where there's these respectability politics at play where you know I ran into that when I was even pitching the series, right, in these rooms where people were thumbing their nose. Ooh, I don't know if we should do a show about strippers. There, you know, are these women who have family members who they'll take the money, right? <laughs> that they're making, you know, shaking it for cash, right? They'll talk about them the next second because it's not seen as something that's moral, right? Um, and I really wanted to highlight that because I just think that there's a lot of judgment in our community, in every community, real talk. And so I think this particular relationship allows us to really deconstruct those feelings and those tensions when it comes to how religion oftentimes plays a very unfortunate role when it comes to how there's divides and like moral judgment within our communities and within our
1: families too. Lastly, but not least, I love the relationship between Mississippi and Diamond. Is that right? Oh my, yes. Yeah. 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 Because I think yes. Diamond is so sweet. Are, are we going to see that blossom more? We going to see something. We going to see something. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to give it away. I understand. I totally understand. <laughs> Before we wrap up, Katori, I want to focus a little bit just on your own career. And I wanted to know if there was anyone growing up as you were coming and navigating your career that you emulated. I actually had a conversation with some folks in entertainment directors, and I was saying how important writing is. Absolutely. And I I just feel like we need more Writers, we need more black writers Mm -hmm. because I think there's just such an array. We have, there's an abundance of stories that we could be telling about our lives. And it's not all just about slavery, it's Mm -hmm. not all just about you know, drugs and gangs. We live full lives as a culture just like anybody else, but the stories aren't being told. So I just think writing is so important Mm -hmm. because you can't, you got to start from somewhere. Absolutely. And it starts with the writing to me. I love this question because as a Black writer, I am stepping into
0: such a beautiful tradition. There's so many amazing Black writers that have come before me, whether it's, Tony Morrison, August mm-hmm. Wilson, I would say growing up, I thought I was going to be a novelist. I didn't think that I was going to step into the world of drama just because, you know, I like to be by myself. But then <laughs> as I grew up, I, I love the idea of community. And that's what drew me to theater. So I think one of the writers that probably has influenced me the most is August Wilson.
1: August Wilson. Absolutely. The
0: giants of the American theater, you know, yes. just everything that he's written and everything that he stood for. I I, I used to, I remember I, I met him one day and I was like, I want to be like you when I grow up. And he, obviously he laughed at me, <laughs> but eventually I got to a place where I wanted to be more like me when I grew up. And I it was seeing August Wilson, you know, write his world, write the people around him that I think made me feel as though that I could do that. And so I would say August Wilson is probably one of my greatest influences. Yeah. Particularly stepping into the world of dramatic writing. Yeah.
1: I think I've seen every one of his plays. Uh I, I absolutely love him. What advice would you have for any up and coming playwrights out there?
0: Ooh, keep your eyes on your own paper. What I mean by that is oftentimes we get swept up into what the trend is and what the industry says is the thing to do. And we want what other people got. Ooh, they got that deal or they uh, getting their play done at that place. And at the end of the day, you have to write what makes you special, what makes you unique. It's your voice. Try not to replicate somebody else. You can be inspired and influenced by another writer, but the more you write the stories that only you can write, I think the more successful you'll be.
1: Good advice. Good advice. Now, what do you have coming up next? What can we look forward to?
0: So I have this play called The Hot Wing King that won the Pulitzer last year. It is going up at the Alliance Theater down in Atlanta in early 2023, and I'm directing it. So it'll be my Theater directorial debut, I actually got a chance to direct the season finale of P-Valley season two Okay, this past, earlier this year, which I was super proud of. So I'm definitely stepping into my little directing lane, which I really love. Like we need more directors of color, female directors. This season was directed by all women as well. So just really excited to become
1: part of the directing family when it comes to artists. Oh, congratulations. I'm excited for you. Thank you. You're very welcome. I look forward to seeing that play as well. Yeah. Come on down to Atlanta. We got to get you there and to Magic know, City. I know. I got to be headed down <laughs> that way. Now it's time for our segment, Wouldn't You Like to Know? I have a couple of rapid fire questions okay. I'd like you to answer. Okay. Mm-hmm. What book are you currently reading? It's interesting. I'm actually rereading The Piano Lesson by August Wilson. It's one of my favorite plays and it's about to be on Broadway with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Yep. Okay. What is one thing you want to get off your chest? Ooh. That yeah, people need to stop being racist. Ugh. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking.
0: The other day, that young white kid going to Buffalo and shooting up, you know, black folks just because of all this hatred. It's just something that obviously is they talk about COVID being a virus, but that's a virus. Just, you know, I, I want everybody to figure out a way to not just be, oh. I'm not racist, people have to be anti-racist. So that's, you know, I'm always on my soapbox about that as a, a lot of people
1: are. Yeah, that's a really good conversation to have. And I was on Instagram and was looking at a comment that Amanda Seals made. And my response to that was like, yeah, how do we, cause, cause it is something that we can't continue to ignore. Absolutely. Um, the hate of white supremacy, but it's also like, how do you fight that? Exactly. You know, How do you fight that? It's something to really think about and it's a, a really important conversation that I think we need to start having. So yeah. thank you for that. And what's the motto that you live by?
0: Ooh, this is a good one. Um Uncle Clifford has a new rule <laughs> this season and it goes like this. Don't try to be everybody a cup of tea because you don't have nothing left to sip on for yourself. That's the rule. As that thing of, you know, you you really gotta protect yourself be yourself. Don't try and just be out there. Make sure you, you keep something special for, for you at the end of
1: the day. Yeah. Got you. That sounds like a good one. Where can we find you on social media?
0: Oh, you can find me at, at Katori Hall, Instagram and Twitter. I was able, I was of that generation. I was actually able to get my name. <laughs> I got in early. Okay. All right. <laughs> I got my name. So that's how you can find me. That's where y'all can get me at and katorihall.com.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katori, for stopping by Positively Gam. And everyone, go watch P Valley. New season is out now. Come on down to the (laughs) pink. My first takeaway after this conversation is really just acknowledging the importance of Black writers. We have so many stories to tell, and no one is going to tell them better than we will. Secondly, every show isn't for everybody, but I hope you guys will check out P-Valley and not dismiss it because of some preconceived idea that you've cooked up in your head. It's really a good show. It's out on Stars right now, so check it out. And that's our show you can follow me online at Gammy Norris. Also, help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and by hitting the follow button on iHeartRadio. Stay grateful, y'all. See you at the Pink. Positively Gam is produced by Red Table Talk Podcast and iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Adrian Banville Naris, Valen Jethro, and Jada Pinkett-Smith. Our audio engineer is Calvin Bailiff. And our associate producer is Irene Bischoffberger. Our theme song is produced by D-Beats.